You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the last week of How to Take a Hit. You're probably wondering what's coming up after this series. Well, that's what I'm here to tell you about. We are in a very unique time here at Kensington. I'm not just talking about the crazy 2020 that we're just about ready to say goodbye to. As you may know, our three founders, Steve Andrews, Dave Wilson, and Mark Nelson, have transitioned or are in the process of transitioning into the next chapter of their lives. With that being said, we are going to spend the first three Sundays in December hearing from each of the founders and their wives. Mark Nelson was the arts director here at Kensington for over 25 years. He brought excellence into the church and led teams to create hundreds and hundreds of moments to give people a chance to engage with God. Steve Andrews had this incredible ability to lead with this value of open-handedness. And because of his giving spirit, we were able to launch churches, campuses, and partner with incredible people across the globe. And Dave Wilson was always for the one who is far from God. His messages always carried the theme to reach the one. And he and Anne also had this incredible passion for marriage and families. Because of the foundation that these men set over 30 years ago, we are able to follow God into the future with the values and passion that these founders helped put in place. Please join us for this three-week series called Foundations starting December 6th. And then it's Christmas. We're in the process right now in putting together a Christmas service for the whole family. There will be in-person services plus an online service designed especially for those who will be watching from home. The title this year is Home for Christmas. Even though Christmas may look a bit different this year for everyone, we still have this longing to experience home. Is it possible that this baby born over 2,000 years ago paved a way for all of us to find our way back home? More details to come in the next coming weeks, so stay tuned. Now let's lean in and see what God has for us as we finish up our series, How to Take a Hit.
You know, that, that familiar song, it's, isn't it a haunting melody? And in the words um, depict a relationship, obviously, that's been broken. And you can just hear the pain. You can hear the longing, can't you, for restoration? But she must have called a thousand times. Um, but they're never home, whether they're looking at their caller ID and they're just not answering. And she feels a million miles away from this person. And that's really what we've been kind of looking at now as we come to the end of the story of Joseph in our series, How to Take a Hit. This is the last week, and uh, we're looking at a relationship that's been beyond fractured. There's a brother that, that's been abandoned by his family, betrayed by his family. And uh, I don't know what Joseph is feeling, but I think there's probably a lot of what's uh, described in that song or what we feel when we hear the words of that song of just the longing to be restored. So today we're going to take an honest look at what would that look like for us to be on a journey of trying to restore relationship where there's been brokenness, where there's a need for forgiveness. And Joseph's story leads us today to the point where we can really address that. So I look forward to that. Uh, but we want to welcome you first here live uh, in our campus. Or if you've joined us online, we're really glad that you're here today. We hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, I've asked several people today, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? And everyone starts with the same word, different, <laughs> different than it we're used to. Empty chairs at the table. <clears throat> for me, it was a lot of Facebook and uh, Zoom calls so we could try to get family members together that weren't there. And it also meant that leftovers are going to go on and on and on and on forever. Yeah, someone's clapping about that. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. If there's a silver lining anywhere, it's our refrigerators might be full of food that we can enjoy for the next week. So anyhow, we're really glad that you're here today, that you've joined us. Um, I do want to give you a little bit of instruction that's important for something later in the service. We're going to take communion near the end of the service today. So if, you, if you're with us here and you came in, you were handed one of these little pods. If you've not used them before, I just want to tell you they're tricky. Um, and there's actually two different steps to it. There's a top thin layer uh, that you pull back to get to the wafer, which is the bread, and then you pull the foil one later that's for the juice. And we're going to take this together, so I'll lead you through it. But I, you might want to work on it a little bit. Um, you can see this little one right here that you pull that one up first. So we had a lot of people struggling with it in the first service, so you may want to get ahead of that. And then if you're at home, please uh, take a few moments right now to find something that you can have before you that would represent the bread and the cup. You know, Jesus did this with his disciples, and it was around a common dinner table, uh, the Passover table that they were sharing together, and these symbols represent the sacrifice of Christ. So you can grab some crackers or bread or chips or whatever and something to drink. We'd love for you to follow along with us from home when we come to that moment in the service. Well, one of the things that's been really, uh, I would actually say, I'm, I'm kind of proud of being a member of Kensington for years and then coming back now is to see how much more Kensington has stepped into the community to offer uh, help. You know, we know about our global work and it's amazing what we do around the world, but there are needs right here in our backyard, right here in our neighborhoods, in our own cities. And your giving and your investment and your generosity allows us to keep expanding what we do to reach those that are in need, reach those that maybe for the first time will really understand what the love of God is because they receive something tangible. They're loved tangibly. 
And most of this is under the umbrella of what we call move out, our move out ministry. And many of you are involved in that. And so we wanted to share with you at the beginning of our service today a video, a conversation really that took place between Danny Cox, who is the lead interim pastor over all of Kensington, all six campuses, and Becky Lee, who has worked for several years as the director and leader of what we call our move out. So let's take a look at what it means for us as a community, as a congregation to move out. Well, here we are, Becky Lee, director of our Move Out Network. We're so glad to be sitting down with you today. You're one of our great leaders. Tell me, how long have you been with Kensington? You're making me date myself. It's a long time. Uh, I would, we, my husband, Don, and I actually started Kensington in year one wow. of Kensington. And then we were volunteering, and then we helped. We were part of the core team that helped launch the Rochester campus. So that's when I came on staff, helping with small groups in 2003. Wow, and so you, you really, you and I came on staff very similar. And you, but you've been with this mission from the very beginning. And as you know, as I know, one of the very core and hearts of our mission is to go, is to actually move out into, that's always been the heart of Steve Angel. I remember coming here from a, such a different faith background and hearing him speak of something that he would call the priesthood of believers. Yeah. He would say that everyone is a priest and you could go out and you can preach the gospel based in Exodus 19, based in 1 Peter 2. And I'd never heard that before because my tradition was always the, the priest did everything, <laughs> you know, but right. now we were activating the community and that's always been our heart. And really that's the heart of Move Out Network. So um, just tell us a little bit about what is Move Out Network. So our mission is really to move people beyond our four walls uh, to love their neighbors in tangible ways and to carry the hope um, of Jesus um, out into the world. And so the Move Out Network was something we created um, almost two years ago as a way to connect people to volunteer opportunities out in the community where they could tangibly love their neighbors. What was so moving to me is when COVID hit in March and when the walls of our church sort of got closed down, meaning, you know, the, the physical building, we never, we weren't meeting. All of a sudden now, you guys had this plan in place that God had given you this beautiful vision. You had people in place and they went. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that just blew me away um, and that we're really celebrating is that when COVID hit and we really started praying, how can we be the church and help our most vulnerable neighbors right now? We could go to that network right. where we have 50 teams and we could ask those volunteer Kensington move out leaders that are rooted, really rooted in community um, in their neighborhoods. We could ask them, how can we help? What are the biggest needs? How can we come alongside? The network provided us with just this beautiful pathway. We've had hurricanes hit, yes. we've had different things happen. And in the midst of all of that, you've watched teams step into really specific uh, areas. Can you give us just a couple ideas of specific things that, that teams have done? Yeah, well, you mentioned hurricanes. And so one of our move out teams is called Disaster Relief at Work. Right. Um, and we've been working with them for the past several years. But when the floods hit in Midland, Midland in yeah. the middle of a pandemic, Right. which um, was so hard. We were able to come alongside DRAW with both volunteers doing emergency relief work and funding to help support them. And DRAW is a beautiful example of a move out team that pivoted uh, during COVID to really say, how can we love the neighbors in our community? And so they started working doing emergency food distribution, all kinds of things uh, to mobilize volunteers out into the community. So that's just one example of a move out team that we were able to come alongside and support. I'm curious when we did shut down, how did the move out teams continue to stay connected? Did you have a strategy with that or just organically happen? Yeah, great question. Uh, we have a coaching structure of um, each leader has a coach that um, is there to support them and resource them. And so we just started talking to the leaders and many of the teams had to just take a hiatus, right? Because right. of COVID restrictions. But yeah. some teams were able to really innovate some new ways to do things. And so we were gathering via Zoom, we were emailing, texting, calling. But just last week, we had a virtual gathering with our move out leaders and we just kind of went around. There were like probably uh, 30 or 40 of us on the call and went around and just talked about what they have each seen God doing in this season of COVID. And 
I wish I could just show you the whole video um, because I could everything from our FaithWorks team who does home repair, they mentioned that they would typically be building ramps in this season. Well, no wood is available for some reason. There's a shortage during COVID, so they decided to start building aluminum ramps. They've built oh, wow. over 30 aluminum ramps for families that wow. needed ramps during COVID. Um, so uh, our prison fellowship team, because they weren't able to go into the Lapeer Correctional facility, uh, they were doing some virtual academy and tutoring of men. And I love our Move Out leader said, we graduated 28 men right before COVID hit out of this academy. And he said, I now consider them to be the Move Out leaders oh, wow. in their facility with their fellow inmates. And so many examples. Another one is our Move Out team. It's called On Your Feet Detroit. And so they um, create warming bundles for people that are experiencing homelessness. Um, and so last year they had this beautiful collaboration with our Elevate Detroit community barbecue team in handing out these warming bundles and coats um, in relationship with the people that are coming to the community barbecue each week. So when that had to shut down for a while, the On Your Feet Detroit team started reaching out to homeless shelters in the area to see what are your biggest needs right now. And so they started collecting things like cleaning supplies and laundry pods and board games for people in shelters that couldn't go out. And then they collaborated with one of our brand new move out teams, McRest, the rotating shelter yeah, yeah. that the Clinton Township team yeah. does, uh, to deliver a lot of those supplies to some of the uh, McRest clients. So all these collaborations, that's, that was one of our dreams with the move out network is some of these teams existed before we launched the network, but they were operating in silos. Exactly. And so now when we come yeah. together and we can talk about, oh my goodness, so you have a community garden, we have a need for fresh produce over here. So that collaboration has just accelerated so much during COVID. Yeah, and I think watching that network is a picture of the gospel. I mean, I think yes. that's what Jesus always planned for his gospel, a network of people, a net of people, you know, yes. fishers of humans, yeah. this net that goes out. and. And it's just beautiful to see. One of the great move out and I think very special move out teams that we have are connected to our schools because yes. we know that our children are our greatest stewardship gifts. They're our greatest treasures. And I would like you to talk a little bit about our school partnerships, because I think they're doing incredible work that is going to pay off for generations. Absolutely. Um, Linda Lenius, that leads our school partner Move Out teams that are under our Move Out network, uh, she and her team of volunteers have done such an incredible job of um, building those rooted relationships that we talked about earlier, and then listening to what the needs are. So yeah. Yeah. most of their volunteers were volunteering in person at the school, so they had to really pull back and figure out how do we support um, the, the school's community. And so they have been so creative and innovative. Everything from, I think they wrote thousands of wow. handwritten cards and letters that were put in food distribution boxes that went to staff and school partner families. They have done book drives. They have done liter they built literacy kits for kids that are doing remote learning at home. Um, they have come alongside the staff in these schools who really um, have been struggling so much much right. um, to make all these changes with remote learning and yeah. they have been showing them the love of Jesus um, through emails, through cards, through phone calls. We've been inviting our volunteers in to connect with our staff and the students the best we can to really see them and that's what we're hearing from them is that they feel cared about and they feel loved and they feel seen and I think that um, that's how we're expressing Jesus' love the best right now. To see how we can all be a part of bringing the church um, out beyond our walls, that's just been so beautiful to see. And School Partners, they've just innovated so many creative ways to do that. Oh, that's so good. So I, to get very practical, if someone is watching this and saying, I want to be part of a move out team, just very practically, what do we do? So just go to the website, um, kensingtonchurch.org slash moveout, and you can find lots of information about our move out strategy, and also you can search the move out network. So as I said, we have over 50 teams, and how cool is it that 15 new teams formed wow. during COVID? Just during COVID. Just during teams. COVID. Um, and we were able to, just to the due to the generosity of so many Kensington people, we were able to provide grants uh, oh, to wow. yeah. 19, or no, actually 22 teams were able to received grants in the past year um, to help them mobilize volunteers out in the community with what they were doing. 
I don't know about you, but when Becky Lee starts talking about all of those networks of people moving out in our community to love their neighbor, man, I just get chills. That is the heart of the gospel. I can't help but think of the scripture in 1 Peter that says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you not had, you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think that is our job, is to go out and declare the light and the love of Jesus to those in need. I was particularly moved when Becky said the generosity of this community actually fueled multiple, multiple new move-out teams. And that's our heart. As we give and we all give together sacrificially, we start to see this network build and start to impact our community in so many ways. So this year, as we're heading towards our year end, I would invite you, would you pray and would you really think and talk with your family about giving a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington? Because it's those gifts that will fuel all year our mission to be a network to love our community and love our neighbors well. Okay, would you put your hands together just to celebrate that? Isn't that awesome? You know, I'm... Uh, I'm still kind of a newcomer coming back a couple months ago, and I didn't realize all that's been going on, and especially excited about these 50 groups or networks of people that are serving in different ways in the community. And I would ask you to consider two things. And Danny already asked you for this, but one is to really think about joining one of these groups. There's got to be something in that 50 that, that kind of hits your sweet spot or your passion. So you go to kensingtonchurch.org backslash move out, you can, you can kind of peruse what's available there. Maybe it's a great New Year's resolution for 2021 to get involved. Secondly, consider a special investment year-end gift that would really enable us to do even more. I love how we are loving the community. We really are the hands and feet of, feet of Christ in this community. So, awesome. Well, I'm really excited about today because we've been in Joseph's life for four weeks. And to be honest with you, most of it's a pretty distressing story of, a, of someone just languishing year after year after year. So I want to do a little recap in case this is your first week or maybe you missed some of the weeks during the series of what's going on. So this is like previously on Joseph. So here's what's happened. Age 17, his older brothers are jealous and they betray him and they throw him into a pit thinking to kill him and they decide to sell him into slavery. Age 18, he ends up in Egypt, uh, sold to the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was a powerful man under the Pharaoh in Egypt and he's his servant or slave in the household but we learned that God was with him, and God had not abandoned Joseph, even though his family had. And so he's elevated. He does so well that Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. So it looks kind of like, oh, this is a good story. It's going to turn out well. Well, Potiphar's wife decides to pursue uh, Joseph in an illicit relationship. Joseph refuses, and he gets accused of attempted assault. And Potiphar is filled with rage and has him thrown into prison, age 18. He's there a long, long time. In fact, he's 30 years old before something begins to change. He gets a tap on the shoulder to go to Pharaoh to interpret some crazy dreams he's had. He had two dreams, and Joseph has this gift of being able to interpret dreams. So he tells Pharaoh there's going to be, a fam uh, there's going to be first of all, seven years of amazing abundance in our crops. We're going to have more food than we know what to do with. But following that is going to be a seven-year famine that's going to devastate the land. So Pharaoh's got to decide who he's going to put in charge of getting ready for this. And he figures, well, here's a wise person who could interpret my dream. So he doesn't just get out of prison. Joseph actually gets elevated to the number two in the whole country. Pharaoh says, um, you're second only to me. Everything else is under you. So get, get busy, get working. So now he's free, and he's not only free to work, but he's free to love. He, he finds a wife, he gets married, they start a family, and he begins the preparation for this famine that's going to come. So now he's 38 is we're going to pick up the story today. And he's prepared during those seven years of plenty, and now they're beginning the years of want. And the famine has reached through the whole region all the way back to Canaan, where his family is. And this is where the story is going to take a really interesting turn. Uh, before I do that, though, I, do, I, want to, I want to take a moment just to celebrate something with you that I think is really exciting. Um, Kensington has something called the Kensington Help Bank, and they do a lot of good in the community. 
And they are just today launching a new initiative that I want you to pay very close attention to this. Um, it's called Hope for the Holidays. And what we're going to do is make available to everyone that texts to this number. So you may, may, may want to get out a pen and write this down right now or take a picture of the screen so you have it. Uh, what we're going to do, anyone that texts Hope to this number, um, you will immediately get a link back. And you click the link and you put in your address. And we're going to mail you a $25 gift card to Meyer. Now, there's two reasons why you, why you might want to do this. One is that you might be in need yourself, your own family. You might be struggling during this time right now. And so this is a small way for us to bless you. And we're really blessing each other because this is possible because of you. The second reason why you may want to text this is that you may know someone in your family or a friend or someone in your neighborhood, someone you've come across who is struggling. And you want to bless them with this gift. And so all you have to do, again, there's no ob ob other obligation. There's no questions asked. We're not going to come and ask you what you did with it. We trust you that you're going to use this to invest either in your own family because you're in need or someone else. So please take advantage of this great opportunity. And if you don't need one yourself at all, you can still text this number and give us your address and we'll mail that card to you and you can use it to bless others. You know, and I just want to say this is, in fact, let's talk about our offering right now. This is one of the reasons why we give here because God is a generous God who asks us to be generous back so that we can grow his work, we can spread his love, we can impact our community. And so uh, there's three way, or four ways that you can give today. If you're here with us right now, you can give as you leave. There's a, some buckets in the back. You can also go to our website or you can use your Kensington app. You can text or you can send a check-in. So really encourage you as we move into the holiday season now to, as Danny said, go before God. We don't want any coercion. In fact, if you're new, if this is your first time with us either online or here, this moment is not for you. But if this is your church home, we really encourage you uh, to invest so that we in turn can invest uh, God's love in our community. Okay, back to Joseph. So as I said, um, he's now had this amazing turn in fortune where he went from years and years in prison, forgotten, lost, lonely. He has to be struggling every day, trying to keep his attitude and his heart right. And now he finds himself in this powerful position of influence. He has a family. Um, he's done a great job preparing for the famine. And this is where we pick up the story. This is from Genesis chapter 41. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And the world came to Egypt, the world came to Egypt, to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. When Joseph learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? This is kind of funny, I picture them hungry and they're all just staring at each other, no one's talking. And so dad says, what are you doing looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's son were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brother arrived, they bowed down to him and their with their faces to the ground. By the way, if you've been with us, does that sound familiar? Like a dream he had as a teenager? As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied. To buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Now, that last thing might sound a little strange because you think, how could they not recognize their own brother? But remember, it's been 12, 13 years. No, more than that. Over 20 years since they saw their brother. And so he's, first of all, he's out of context. I'm sure he's dressed very differently than them. And the reality is he's also speaking a different language because he had obviously had to learn to speak the language of the Egyptians. And so they don't recognize him. Now, just try to imagine this moment. Imagine this reunion. Try to see it through Joseph's eyes. He's looking at his brothers there. What is he thinking? Is he thinking revenge? Because you know the saying, revenge is a dish best served cold. Well, it's been chilling for 20 years. He's been thinking about this. He didn't know if he'd ever see them again. And now, can you believe it? They're delivered right to his doorstep. There they are. He's in control. He's in power. All these options are in front of him. He could do anything he wants. And I think, given human nature, and I would say even my own nature, I've never been obviously in that dire of a situation, but I know that tendency to want payback. 
that, you know, to want to give revenge. And in fact, they say that art um, reflects culture. And so if you think about all the movies that Hollywood has put out that have to do with payback, and come on, you have to admit it, you kind of like those movies. You want them to get even. I know that's not very Christian or pastoral for me to say this, but I kind of like those movies. And so I look at Gladiator as an example. And there's, you know, there's Maximus, you know, Russell Crowe standing there face to face with Caesar, the most powerful man in the world at that time. And he looks him right in the eye. He doesn't even blink. And he says, I will have my vengeance, either in this, this life or the life to come. Or one of my favorites, personally, the movie Taken. Uh, Liam Neeson plays the man whose daughter is abducted. And he gets, he gets a phone call from his, the abductors. So he's on the phone. I just love this scene where uh, Liam says, I don't have any money. What I do have is a special set of skills. I will find you, and I will kill you. And then, of course, the rest of the movie is mayhem as he pursues the abductors and he rescues his daughter. You've got to admit that was a pretty good impersonation of Liam Neeson, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, well, i got one more for you, and I, I, I will tell you, no, don't, don't clap yet. i got one more. And uh, this one I actually worked at. So this is the most famous threat of payback ever in all time. It's the movie Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and you know what he says. I'll be back. There, now? All right, I give myself a C maybe on that one. But isn't that human nature uh, that we, we want payback? And I think that certainly Joseph could have felt all of that, and he has the opportunity right in front of him. But here's, because they're right there, but here's what he actually does. The story continues. Then Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Uh, I think Joseph probably choked at the word honest men. (laughs) No, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Can you feel the tension? Because the one they're talking about is standing right there, in control, in power. What would you do if you were Joseph in this moment? So, you know, what he does is he he puts him in jail, but but I'm thinking at that moment, it was me, knowing my nature, I'd go, ta-da, take all the other stuff off, start speaking Hebrew, to them, and, and it's now, now it's time. You guys are going to suffer. You're going to pay. I think he's trying to work it out, what to do. He's had a lot of time to reflect on this moment if it would ever come. And so he puts them in jail <clears throat> for three days, and he tells them that one of them is going to have to stay behind. He's going to send them back, um, and to make sure they're not sp- spies, they have to come back with the youngest brother, Benjamin, to prove that their story is real. So that's the deal that he's offering to his brothers after they've been in jail for three days. So now the brothers talk among themselves, and I love this part of it because they're talking in Hebrew among themselves, thinking that Joseph doesn't know their language, but he knows their language. And so this is what they say among themselves. Joseph eavesdropping. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for us with his life. And you know, that, that phrase right there gets to me because we're not told that when he's thrown into the pit. We're not told how Joseph was doing, but now we learn that in this moment, Joseph was pleading with his brothers not to do this. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us, kind of like karma has come. Reuben, the firstborn, replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? It's kind of like firstborn, like to say, I told you so, I guess. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. So he kept the ruse up. He got an interpreter in so they wouldn't have any idea who they were actually talking to. So now what is he going to do? Is this a moment of revelation? Is this a moment where he's going to finally say, yep, I was there. I pleaded. You wouldn't listen to me. You destroyed my life, and now it's your turn. But here's what he does. He turned away from them and began to weep. And then he came back and spoke to them again. So what this tells us, and, and I think about my journey through pain and suffering and, and wrongs that have happened to me, is that the first thing that Joseph did in this moment of reunion was he entered into the pain of all that it had meant and represented. 
The first thing we have to do is we have to mourn the hit. We've been talking about taking hits during this series. And when a hit comes to our life, the thing we have to do is get emotionally honest about it. We have to be willing to go to that place where the pain is, the grief is, the loss is. And, you know, what we tend to do or what I tend to do is I tend to go more to the anger. And I think the reason why I do that or why that's our tendency is that when you, when you embrace the pain, you're even more vulnerable. It feels, it feels more exposed, more weak. And, and I've learned that anger is a very strong um, remedy for that, that we can protect ourselves against, this, against that. It makes us feel in control in the moment. But the first step toward forgiveness is to mourn the loss and the pain. And I mentioned a few weeks ago, actually, I think the first month when I got here, is that 2020, prior to COVID-19, started as a really, really difficult year for me. I experienced job loss in New York City that came out of nowhere. It it blindsided me. It felt wrong. I felt betrayed. I felt misunderstood. I felt just discarded. I really felt like I was in a pit. I felt like I was taken out to the curb. And, And where I went initially was not so much the mourning and the honesty about the pain and the grief and everything, what I, I did go to anger. It was all kept internally, but I was just raging inside for a while. And I really was thinking about the Terminator, I'll be back. You know, I was thinking about people have to pay for what they've done. This is not right. I wrote so many emails that I, thank God, didn't send. But I was just dumping everything into these emails uh, that I, what I really wanted to say. And even when I tried to, to go to God with this and pray, what kept happening to me is that I would start out praying and then I would end up plotting in my prayer time of like, well, surely, God, you agree with me. These people acted badly and they need to pay for what they did and they need to come clean and they need to be honest about it. And all of that that I did for for weeks and weeks and even a couple months um, kept me from where I needed to start first, which is to be before God in my pain, in my loss, in my suffering. Because if you don't go there, bitter, I, I, I was seeing that bitterness was going to destroy me. It was going to destroy my life. It was going to destroy my soul. And so we have to start with mourning the loss. We have to mourn the hit. And, and we're, going to, we're going to come eventually to the idea of forgiveness because this is how the story ends. But I just want to tell you that um, I've given over the years, I'm doing this a long time, some really, really bad messages on forgiveness. And I want to apologize to anyone who may have heard one of those messages. <laughs> and, and here's why. Because in my mind, I thought it works this way. God commands us to forgive. And so if someone needs to be forgiven out of obedience, you forgive that person. And so what you do is you write a letter, you make a call, or you just get with the person and say, I forgive you. And I've done that. All the while, my heart was still full of anger and bitterness. It didn't mean anything. You can't just forgive someone out of a sheer act of obedience. I mean, it's good to submit to God and to obey, but, but forgiveness is not an intellectual thing. It's a heart thing. And words cannot get you there, words alone. And so we, we need to look at the story of Joseph to see how did he actually get to that place. I think that Joseph was so shocked to see his brothers bowing down to him in dire need, he didn't know exactly what to do. He must have had all kinds of conflicting thoughts because here they are in front of him and he has the memory of all the pain that he had experienced. So here's what he does next. Right before them, he has Simeon taken and bound. So the brothers watched them, him take one of their brothers, tie him up, And then he gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. After it was done for them, they loaded their grain on the donkeys, and they left. I don't think he had worked it all out yet, but this tells me that something had happened that allowed him to go to take that first step of grace. He could have sent him away empty-handed. He could have had him arrested and executed. He could have had him sold into slavery. He does none of that. He does keep their brother behind. He does manipulate them a little bit, but he blesses them. He, he gives them not only the grain they needed to take back home, but all the provisions for the long journey back to Canaan. And he gives them their money back. So they got all of this for free. That's a down payment on the grace, the full grace that's going to come in just a little bit. Now, after this, um, Genesis tells us that um, they went home and told their dad everything that had happened. They don't know it's Joseph yet. But there's no way dad is willing to let his youngest son go back. He lost Joseph. These are the two brothers of Rachel. He already lost one. He's not going to lose the other one. So he says, no way. And they can't go back without him. So they're stuck. But now they get really hungry. <laughs> the food is gone. They have to return. So dad reluctantly agrees, and Joseph invites them. Uh, they come back to Joseph. And when they show up, 
uh, back in Egypt, and Joseph sees them. He invites them all to his personal home for dinner. So try to picture this now, family setting. they got to be shocked that they're actually invited to his home. They don't know what's going on here. And this is a moment of reunion now with his youngest brother. This is what we're told in Genesis 43. As Joseph looked and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And then Joseph says, God be gracious to you, my son. Now deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. He's now fully experiencing the loss. You know, his own flesh and blood brother he hadn't seen in so long, and here he is, and he's, he's re reunited. And, and so he's there in the grief and the pain and the loss, and then maybe now the joy is beginning to rise up in him of the reunion. So the move toward forgiveness always involves tears. So they end up buying more food, and they're going to head back home, but Joseph um, plays a little game with them. He uh, gives them their food, but he takes one of his own silver cups, which would have been very, very expensive, and he hides it in one of their bags, and then he sends the police of their day after them, and they find the, the silver cup, and they accuse them of thievery, and they drag them back. Now, you, what do you think the brothers are thinking? Oh, we're really in really, really in deep trouble now. So they come back, and they offer to sell themselves as slaves. He said, don't take Benjamin. Our father will never live if you take Benjamin. So we will become slaves to you. And when Joseph hears this, he can't take it anymore, and he breaks down. He just begins to weep. In fact, he weeps so hard, so loud and deeply that it's heard all the way over to Pharaoh's palace, the wailing of Joseph. The brothers are terrified, we're told, when they see this. They don't know what's going on. But Joseph, it turns out, is not angry. He reveals himself to them. This is the tada moment, not one of revenge. It's a, it's a tada moment when he says, I'm your brother. And listen to his words now. Hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down with me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, all that you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. I mean, they had to be in such shock. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. Man, I, d I just like to picture this amazing scene. I mean, it's such a, it's such a real feel-good story. A happy ending. The family all together reconciled. But honestly, I have to ask myself how this was possible. I mean, in ministry, years of ministry and just life, I have seen so many relationships torn apart and the reconciliation just doesn't come and it goes year after year. These are people following Jesus. These are people who name Jesus. And there's hatred and animosity and, it, and when you look at it, you think they're going to go to the grave with this. How can they not be reconciled? And so I ask, how is Joseph, what did he draw from to be able to do this? To truly deeply forgive his brothers and notice it wasn't just words he didn't say I forgive you now go on your way the evidence of his forgiveness was his generosity toward them like he really forgave them from his heart because he said I welcome you now to my home to my land and I'm going to take care of you get dad here as quickly as you can tell dad everything that I've done he wanted this full reunion he wanted to be in community with them he didn't say well uh, I forgive you but I'm never going to forget what you've done and we just can't be close because we say those words too he gave himself fully to the very ones who had wounded him and hurt him. So I wonder how. How is this possible? And I wonder, because we were told over and over again that God was with him, if, if Joseph did not lean in and depend on God so much during those years that, that he became a man filled with the love and the grace of God himself. You know, Shauna last week reminded us that that 
patience and endurance was cultivated in Joseph. And now we see him in this moment where there's no evidence of bitterness or anger or desire for retribution. Psalm 28, written by David, maybe describes the frame of mind that Joseph was in in this moment. And during this season of his life, he said, To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. But see, in the pit, God was not silent to him. He cried out to God, I believe, and God responded. He says, hear my cry for mercy as I call out to you for help. And God helped him along the way. As I lift up my hands toward your most holy place, praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. See, I believe Joseph's heart trusted in God, and he helped him in this moment where he could go the, the, the route of vengeance or forgiveness. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Now, I want to tell you in, as we conclude here that this story, I believe, is a wonderful foreshadowing and picture of the gospel, of Christ himself. Think about Jesus on the cross, innocent, put there by guilty people, uttering the words, Father, forgive them. Picture the brothers, guilty before Joseph, Joseph who was innocent of all he'd been accused of, and the ones who put him in that situation kneeling now before him, and Joseph saying, I forgive you, I restore you. It's such a beautiful picture of the gospel, and I think it really points us to our, what, what is the key to our ability to forgive others, what is the ability, my ability to forgive others, and it's, it's going to the cross. You know, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. Now listen to this carefully. Forgiving each other, how? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's our, our sense, our experience, our wonder at our own forgiveness that becomes the basis for our ability to turn to others and forgive them. Think about the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father um, that we, rec we recited, some of us growing up in church. The phrase that says, and forgive our trespasses as what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. See, the two are connected. It's our status, our experience, our joy at being forgiven that creates the opportunity for us to forgive others. And I've had to walk that path this year. It's been so challenging and so difficult, but for the because of the grace of God, he's led me down this path. I had to go through a series of as I got through the bitterness and anger and began to experience the emotion and the pain, and I was honest about all of that, to begin to think differently about the people who had hurt me. And God did not want me to hold on to that bitterness and that anger, but wanted me to let go of it. And, and this is the process that God brought me through, and I want to lead you through that right now. I want you to think about the experiences in your own life. If you've, if you've experienced betrayal, like that's how I described it, I felt it was betrayal for me. If you've been in that, if you're in it right now, I think this is what God wants to lead us to. If you can imagine that there's a cross right here, the cross that Jesus was crucified on, and Jesus is there on the cross. And I come to that cross, and I bring all of my sin and all of my failure and all of my guilt, all of my brokenness, and I gaze up at him, and instead of condemnation, the words that I hear from Jesus is the words he uttered, I forgive you. You are forgiven, all of it. You don't have to do anything to repay it. You don't have to do anything. Just receive. And if I can linger there long enough that it becomes not just a verse or a doctrine or a Christian truth, but it becomes my experience that I'm in, in the embrace of God's love and forgiveness, that I'm there and I know I'm set free from that. I know the, I know the guilt is gone. The shame is gone. Not because of anything I did, but it's just given to me freely, lavishly, his grace, his love. And I'm in that. And then as I turn to go about my life, I hear Jesus say, oh, oh, one more thing, Craig. Would you now forgive others? Would you take what I've given you and now give it to others? And you know what? To be honest with you, if I can get to that place in my heart where I'm so filled up with his love and gratitude for what he's done for me, it doesn't seem like that's too hard of an ask. And I'm not trying to minimize the pain or the, the sense of betrayal or the wrong that was done, but what I'm saying is to live in the reality of his love and forgiveness. 
makes it easier to turn to the people that I've had to face this year. And I have one more to go. I've, I've made Zoom calls and FaceTime calls with people. And in those conversations, I tried to not ask for anything. I didn't know if they were going to apologize for anything, but I wanted to try to reconcile. And I could own up the things that I had done. But re, whether they ever were going to say to me, well, and Craig, I'm sorry for what I did in this, that I was going to let them go. I was going to forgive them because I'm forgiven. I have one more to go next week. It's the final one in the, uh, over the last few months that God has brought to my heart that I need to try to reconcile with. Cannot do this in my own strength. I don't have it in me to do this. If left to myself, I'm the terminator. But as I'm before the cross, I'm the forgiven. And I believe that the forgiven can forgive. And so we want to go to the cross now. In our minds, in our hearts, we want to go to the cross. We want to see the Savior. We want to see his sacrifice for us. We want to see his love for us. We want to hear the words that we are forgiven. And we're going to celebrate that in just a few moments with communion together. I'm going to lead us through the bread and through the cup. But in these next moments, I want us to open our hearts uh, to God. I want us to confess what we need to confess. I want us to listen to his voice. I want us to hear the words of love and forgiveness expressed to us that we could maybe more fully embrace the depth of the Father's love for us. And so God, we give ourselves to you in these moments. We know you're here. Really meet with us. For any here in this room or listening online who are just clenching their fists tightly around some hurt or pain that you would allow them to release that grip, to release it to you and have hands that are open to receive your love, and your grace. In your name, amen. Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure, how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory On his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His I know that it is Jesus Christ, his 
death and resurrection. Why should I came from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my The night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat around a table with his disciples, his closest friends. And he knew what was going to happen in a very short order. They did not. Sharing a Passover meal together. And in the next two or three days, their life, the disciples' lives were going to be turned upside down. They were going to go into a pit themselves. And then on Easter Sunday, they were going to be filled with more joy than you can imagine. But in this moment, Jesus wanted to do something that would mark this event through all time. He looked forward, I think, from and that day to this day in the year 2020 when we would be gathered together in his name to celebrate and to remember. It's important to remember. What are we remembering? We're remembering as the words of the song we just heard tell us that we are so deeply loved by God, by the Father, whose son gave up his life for us. He wanted us to celebrate this moment. He wanted us to remember this moment, to remember how we're loved. And so we're going to take now the bread. And Jesus said, this bread is my body broken for you. I want you to hear your name in that. You. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And when he blessed it, he said, Take, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this to remember me. Let's take the cup together. That's the taste of his love for each of us. It's important that we remember this. There's so many other voices of accusation and rejection that will never be God's voice. He said, I will never, ever, ever hold back my love from you. Nothing will ever separate you from my love. And so that's what we celebrate today. That's what we celebrate in this moment. And I want the, the words of this uh, final song, feel free to stand, feel free to sing along. The words will be on the screen. These are words, beautiful words that just paint an amazing picture of how deeply we are loved by God.
Um, it is my prayer that, that today, and maybe in the days ahead this week, we can all bask in the astounding, deep, overwhelming, indisputable love that God has for each of us in our own forgiveness. Because you know what? When forgiven people are able to forgive, it's the strongest defense and statement about the truth of the gospel. But we can live it out. So let's live it out this week. Hey, before you go, I got a really cool announcement to share with you. This is another opportunity. If you're married, um, and, and maybe especially during COVID-19, you're spending way too much time together. You're kind of struggling, or maybe just, you know, there's some tension there. We want to bless you. So the teaching team and the marriage team has put together a marriage kit, and, and it's for date night, which is something we've done traditionally. It's a little bit different this year because of COVID. So up on the screen, you can see, take a picture of this or write it down. Go to our website, kensingtonchurch.org slash holiday date night and we prepared something that we're going to share with you that will help you maybe just have a good evening together maybe just a little bit more joy a little bit more connection a little bit more intentionality in your relationship so please take advantage of this Um, have a great week Uh, we'll see you next week when we start a brand new series that i'm really excited about because we've had a great 30-year history we're going to celebrate some of that and we're going to look forward to the next 30 years as god continues to be with us and use us in this community have a great week You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.